Welcome to Tinto Talks, the hub of all things perinatal. My name's Octavia and I will be talking about all things pregnancy related and beyond. We'll be covering specialist topics from experts in the field and collect a spectrum of real life stories from parents who've been there and done that. Our aim is to offer unbiased, evidence-based information, but also shed light on the joys and challenges of parenthood to support each unique journey. There really is something here for everyone. Finally, if there's a topic that you want us to cover, let us know. But in the meantime, sit back, relax, and prepare to feel supported, inspired, and informed. Today we're here to talk about how to choose your birthplace options, how to find out what's available in your area, what's the best choice for you, but also what might have changed since lockdown. We're super lucky today as we've got not one, but two midwives to guide us through the process. And we also have one half of the fabulous duo who created Tinto. Let's start by introducing them. Liz Hanley, a senior midwife at Queen Charlotte's Hospital. She has over 15 years of experience delivering babies and has also helped write the content for the amazing The Bump Class, a West London private antenatal class that has also become a best-selling book. We also have Ailey Parslow, who has a similar amount of experience behind her, and she's worked across all of the birth settings, including home, birth centres and was a labour ward coordinator. Her current role is as matron of the birth centres at Imperial College NHS Trust. And last, but by no means least, we have the wonderful Idia, co-founder of Tinto. She's the brains behind the legal side of the app. With 15 years of commercial and legal experience, with a focus on startups and new technologies, she has since joined forces with Hannah to produce Tinto. So let's get started and hear what your birth options are for all you mothers out there. Brilliant. I suppose we should start by just outlining what the different birth options are. Okay, so there's um, four basic areas where you can choose to give birth. Um, First would be a home birth. Uh, Second would be a midwifery-led unit, um, either alongside um, an obstetric unit within a hospital or a standalone unit of midwifery-led units not attached to a hospital or um, an obstetric unit, which um, is within usually within a hospital. So four main areas you can choose to give birth. Okay, fine. And what sort of questions should a mother be asking when they're kind of planning, starting to plan all these sorts of decisions? So not only would be uh, would be important to have her personal preference of what she envisages for her birth, but also she sort of needs to take into account any um, medical problems or anything that is would make her make decisions about her care that would might maybe lead her to want to have more um, of more facilities around her she so explore the options see what's right for you um and that's how you decide where you'd like to give birth and then i suppose depending on where you live then that's going to have a big impact as well because each different area across the country is going to have different facilities and then they're going depending on where you live within that borough again or you know county it might take you a little bit longer to get from one place to the other so absolutely absolutely but every every woman has a right to a home birth Okay. Um, if there's not a midwifery, if it's not a standalone midwifery unit in your area, that's going to be difficult. But every woman has a human right to give birth at home if she chooses to. So um, your local um, midwife should be able to facilitate that for you. And you just said about it not being in your area, but can you go outside of the area or is it just the fact of the logistics of getting there once you're in labour? Yeah, so you don't have to go to the nearest hospital. You can choose wherever you want to go. 
um, but that logistically wise that um, if there's not a neutrophilad unit, standalone neutrophilad unit within an hour of your, where you live, I wouldn't be thinking it's that would be very good choice for you. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. And um, does it, is there a time limit or when you should be kind of making these plans? Like, you know, if you're having a home birth, do you need more preparation time or do you need to get it's a good plan. Yeah, Liz, do you want to have this one? And <laughs> um, I, I would say that, that no, there isn't really um, a limit on to, as to when you would want to make the decision. And I'd say the majority of women would make the decision prior to starting their antenatal care, um, and they would tend to book with the local hospital and then explore the options that are available to them within that within that local hospital. But as Alia said before, that doesn't need to be the case. You can book at any hospital that you want, uh, and you just have to then consider how long it's going to take you to get to that chosen place. Yeah. What about waiting? Obviously, um, with, if you were to choose a home birth, um, you might have some more practical things that you need to consider yourself, but they're not huge things that it wouldn't take very much time for you to personally prepare. Um, so you could still opt for that option quite late in your pregnancy if um, if that was something. Because, you know, a lot of women maybe haven't, made, haven't considered any of these things prior to getting pregnant. Yeah. They might book at their local hospital and then discover that all these different options are available to them that they've never even, uh, never even come into their mind um, and might want to change their choice at, that, uh, at a later stage and that's fine. Yeah, and in the antenatal blast class I'm running at the moment, I've got two girls who we're going to be interviewing who um, are quite keen for a home birth. And it's been really interesting because one of them, her mother's going to be like her birth partner, and it's just been a decision right from the very beginning. And then the other one, she um, um, was actually quite keen on having a C-section because she was kind of terrified about it. And then I put her in contact with the doula and her, she's just done a flip reverse. And now she's like, okay, you know, I'm up for giving a home birth. So it's really mm -hmm. interesting how people's, you know, the more research you do and all that sort of stuff and just finding out, as you say, what's out there. You know, it, it's really worth, you know, it's, it's not something that one normally has much, you know, knowledge about before you. Uh, no, you don't give it much thought, do you? It's not something you think about very much until you are pregnant yourself, unless like Alien myself, it's been your whole life, really. Your whole adult life has been thinking about birth and babies and everything so you you've got your plan set out you know way before otherwise you know I think even if you're later in life getting pregnant you tend to shut your shut your eyes to other people's stories and other and, and birth and babies and everything you if it's not part of your life right now you don't necessarily want to hear about it yeah definitely and it's very interesting what you're saying about the mother's experience of birth has really influenced that person's choice because yeah. um, I do a birth options um, clinic where we discuss women who have got um, fears about around birth and it's so often from their mothers yeah. how they've influenced their um, perception of birth. So if a, if a mother's been very positive about it, it ch hugely changes um, a, a woman's attitude to how, how she's going to give birth. Totally. I, I, I actually recall like my mum saying, we don't do epidurals here. Like, you're not having an epidural. Like, that's not something you'd consider. But I was actually actually really afraid of birth, initially, like, this, like, just the idea of it. I've always been fascinated by it, and I'd seen videos, and I was actually afraid of birth. But then, it's just strange, but when you become pregnant, and you research, and it just feels very natural, my decision, my the progression from being really afraid to doing it and thinking I need all the drugs and you know it needs to be really clinical and I you know I want to have a C-section to then going through my pregnancy and I ended up having a home birth 
um, with my well, with both my children eventually. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting how like the more you research, the more you embody what your body is going through, you can you can actually have uh, a really positive experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually, what you were saying about the parents having the mothers having an influence—it's funny because I think most women actually who've had children don't really unless someone really specifically asks them they're not that graphic about what actually happens in birth and it's only once you do it yourself that you really hear all the horror stories and you're like oh my god I can't believe no one ever told me this that and the other and not horror stories but you know you hear all the I know you hear some horror stories well, yeah you do <laughs> I remember I, I, think I, was, I was I was probably like yeah. 40 weeks pregnant I was really late I was I was overdue with my um my son and um, I remember being in the gym and the woman said whoa like you look ready to go. Let me just tell you, it's really, really, it's excruciatingly painful. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> that's, that's made me feel great. <laughs> um, so not helpful. No, exactly. Um, looking at the stats, um, it seems that the standalone midwife unit seems to have the best outcomes for everything from spontaneous vaginal birth to uh, less transfers to hospital, but also less C-sections, instrumental delivery, blood transfusions, why do you think that is compared to all of the other options that you have out there? What you're, what you're looking at is the stats for, for low risk pregnancies yeah. um, to, be, to sort of make that clear, isn't it? And, and generally birth is really, really safe for women with low risk pregnancies yeah. across all, across, across any choice of, of birthplace. And yeah. um, the, the stats are, are showing that the birth is really, really safe for mum and baby. Sorry, Ailey, what were you going to if you can interject? <laughs> No, 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 I was basically going to say the same thing. So birth is safe wherever you choose for low risk for wherever you choose to give birth is, is incredibly safe in this country. And the reason why it's so safe is that we have excellent midwives that will transfer you if to our obstetric colleagues if we need to. Um, but I think the interesting point about midwifery-led units is that um, in a midwifery-led unit, we are really um, trying to protect the physiology of birth. So in obstetric units, we, we need them. We need them. They're there for um, any complications. They're, they're, they're there as our safety net. And no disrespect to our obstetric colleagues whatsoever, that we need doctors if we need them. However, if it's a low-risk pregnancy that's having a physiological process, midwives, in particular midwives that have chosen to work in midwifery-led units, they have a philosophy of care that really promotes and encourages and um, has a, a, a whole attitude of supporting the physiology of birth. Mm. So in these units, we understand that, for instance, um, a labouring woman is no different from a labouring mammal. We have to remember that we are, um, we are, we are physiology, walking physiology. And yeah. to promote the hormones of, of, of labour, yeah. we need to protect that physiology and how we do that and promote the hormones is to provide an environment that facilitates that so for instance quiet dark lit feeling safe um a midwife that understands that those noises and those thick sounds and sounds sounds that the woman's making a complete normal part of the process and nothing to be worried about in supporting that so it's all about that kind of philosophy of birth Getting your oxytocin up and trying to drive down your adrenaline, kind of exactly, fight or flight, kind of yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's I'm kind of leads me onto a question that I've got a little bit later down the line, but talking about continuity of care, um, and um, 
something that the NHS always strives for. But then when you choose to have a home birth, you tend to have that continuity right from the very beginning. Um, but then um, if you go into midwife, midwife-led units or into the hospital, it tends not to be quite, you know, you might meet people you've never met before. I mean, I don't know, is that the same in the hospital as it is with the midwife units or do you kind of get allocated to workers? It varies. It, it hugely varies geographically. And, and there is no guarantee if you go for a home birth that you're going to get that continuity. Mm-hmm. Every trust is looking at increasing their continuity. And there's a huge national drive at the moment. So every hospital has got their uh, own focus on that and how they're modelling that and looking at that. So, you know, when you go to the ch- your chosen hospital and you book with your midwife, it's worth having a discussion with them about what continuity projects are available and whether you kind of fit into those um, so certainly at our trust we've got a, a twin continuity project and um, we've got uh, one for maternal medicine so women with with pre-existing medical conditions the births have their own continuity model so there's certain certainly lots of different options out there um, but it, it it varies hugely from area to area i can imagine that'd be something that would really help that that feeling of calm would be kind of turning up you hugely know, the evidence is like, absolutely there's yeah. so much evidence out there and it's not it doesn't just it doesn't just help the woman in terms of her of being calm the outcomes are greatly greatly you know hugely better if you um if you're followed through by the same person or have a minimum you know minimum number of people following you through so you can you're able to develop a relationship with those midwives throughout your pregnancy the actual labor and birth is is not necessarily as important as you would would always think but continuity throughout the antenatal period and postnatal period is is really important that's what i was about to say so the evidence is sorry yes it's very very strong you're backing each other up (laughs) so the evidence is very clear for antenatal period for continuity it's very protective um for premature birth and all lots and lots of um, outcomes continuity for the antenatal process the during the actual giving birth stage um what's most important is uh, is a kind competent midwife mm. so um that the evidence is is not is strong for continuity actual in the birth area yes. and then if that's where if if you choose to give birth in a midwifery led unit or a home birth what's actually so beautiful about it is the midwives are work within who work who choose to work in those settings are kind of the same person <laughs> like if you can imagine like you if, if for instance i would be very happy for any midwife in either birth centers that i work at to look after anyone i know because i know that the philosophy of care and the kind of care that woman will receive will be very very similar with whatever midwife they end up working with have being looked at you want by. to have another baby and come and me too <laughs> Ailey and I just keep talking the same thing and interrupting each other because we, you know we've worked in the same environments we've 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 worked alongside each other and we've done continuity we've worked alongside each other in a continuity model yeah. which was just a wonderful thing to do and um, we've worked alongside each other in birth centers so you say that you deliver each other's babies yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Uh, well we'll come to that at the end (laughs) amazing okay so going back to um kind of the stats side of it and what what actually exactly what you guys said about how low risk everything's very similar along you know whichever unit you choose um strangely the uptake though for a home birth is is almost on a first birth 
under 1%, which is just it's almost none. Um, and then for people having their second births, it's up to about 4%. But why do you think that people aren't choosing home births? Well, for exactly the same reasons that you've both stated. People have huge fear about birth. People are terrified about birth. And you've both, intelligent, um, educated people, have decided, right, now I'm going to research this and work out what I need to do. People yeah. don't always have that kind of, like, strength, not strength, that's not the right word, sorry. I don't mean that. I mean, um, confidence. confidence to go and research it and actually find out for themselves, you know? So you've both done that and gone, actually, no, I'm not scared anymore. I'm going to have home birth. So if women are really informed and they probably would choose home birth, but I just how to get the message out there, I suppose. There's a culture, isn't there, as well? We've not had, we've had a lessening of home births over the last sort of, 50 or 60 years in this country. So very few of our parents will have given birth at home. Um, possibly our grandparents will have, but the, the, the stories get sort of a bit more muted as you go and they go back the generations. Um, so the culture isn't, so you've, the culture is that you go and give birth in hospital. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it's also just the perception that you give birth in the hospital. That yeah. is the yeah. place to give birth and you're absolutely insane to like not be in the care of like all the, the best medical professionals. Mm. That's madness to do it at home. So yeah, it's totally our culture, mm. the perceptions around what birth is. Um, yeah, I, I think it's all of those things. Sadly, I also don't think that women are offered it. We are, as midwives, supposed to discuss birth. The, the things that we're discussing tonight are supposed to be discussed, yeah. you know, obviously in a lot less detail with every woman when she comes for her booking appointment. They're supposed to be informed of what the birth, the, the options are for their um, birthplace in, in that hospital, you know, within that hospital. Um, and obviously, as Ailey said at the beginning of the chat, home birth is, is, should be an option, is an option for every woman. Um, but it's not given, it's not spoken as an option by, yeah. um, by many of our colleagues sometimes. It's sadly, it's also, is it because it's not promoted within your profession that it's safer to do it within a midwifery-led unit in the hospital? Or so why, why do you think that is? I don't actually remember being offered it's a really good question. I don't, I don't know really the answer to that. I don't know why it's not discussed. Midwives are very, very, there's a lot of time straight on um, midwives doing the booking appointment there's a lot to do in that in that appointment and I don't know whether it's just a case of if we actually start talking about this it's going to take too long because we've discussed it for, for how long now and we you know I don't know for every single woman I, I don't know what the reason is it'd be interesting to investigate that actually see what, what mm. the, maybe what the it'd be like is. a nice part of the process to kind of have that you know part of your antenatal classes maybe to have you know one session with the group where you can talk about all of the birth options you know mm. um in depth rather than just kind of a yeah. topic like yeah. you do with breastfeeding or you know exactly all the antenatal stuff that you go to because actually it's a probably an incredible it's i mean I, I remember all my nct stuff you know there was lots of information but you know it's it was more just about like the processes of labours, which is going to happen whether you like it or not. Whereas this is something that you really have a choice, a choice in. Mm. Yeah. yeah. The thing so. is, it's it, it, ideally a topic that needs to be discussed, you know, pre-20 weeks, really. You know, mm. you, you want to ideally be with your caregivers for the majority of your pregnancy, with, with you know, within whichever area you choose to give birth. Um, and we don't really have any classes set up at the moment for that early stage of pregnancy particularly so it's it's, it's accessing women at that right step right time in their pregnancies to give this information 
people's heads. We, 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 we could because we offer them care. We just it just isn't there on the NHS at the moment. I suppose there is a, there is that sort of concept as well to so see how the pregnancy progresses and see if you do develop risk yeah. factors yeah, yeah. that that will change your plan. Mm. So um, it which might is be such a, a negative view, isn't it? No, it is negative, but I suppose that's that's why we have to chat generally at 34 weeks about really making a plan of care where you're going to give birth and your birth plan. So that, that's what we do at 34 weeks generally because, you know, you've had your scans, you've your bloods, we know how your pregnancy is generally going by then. So you're more informed to make that decision. But, yeah, you, yeah you're right. We start thinking about it earlier on what your birth is. Also, you say, it's, you say it's negative, but I think also women should be prepared that whatever choice they make or, or plan they make, it's, 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 it's very possible that it's not going to go the way that they wanted it and they need to prepare. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's something interesting you said earlier, Liz, you was like, um, we had plans. I, I don't actually remember really having a massive plan about birth. <laughs> like, I remember thinking, oh, no. this ago, and if, like, I think it's just so individual, isn't it? Well, how you feel. I don't know. It's, it's, it's such an individual choice. Yeah. No. I just meant that you gave him birth from from your booking appointment you you knew that your you would probably go for a birth center birth yeah all being well yeah i would yeah right. as a vague plan i didn't mean in a, in terms of a, an, oh, a yeah, yeah. you know a really a really long birth plan i mean just no. in terms of place of birth you had a plan yeah. from oh no from birth, place of birth had a plan. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Right. okay and then going into kind of the current climate that we're in um what what's changed since lockdown since since covid's arrived more home births <laughs> well there was there's one trust that offered more home births and that was taken up quite a lot um but most trusts in the uk actually um stopped their home births for about two weeks period because of information they received from um ambulance crews so ambulance crews were very worried that they would be able to support the home birth that they would be too busy to, to be able to provide a safe service so the trust that we were working at um there was a two-week suspension on home births that was that became quick as soon as we could um we heard from the ambulance service that they were okay to work again it was reinstated um but no not more interestingly it's quite you would think there'd be more home births but that's not not we have, i haven't seen that our trust but one trust other trust in london what's changed is this, there's a slightly different pathway in um in the antenatal care there's a few appointments have been dropped that we, that we planned that we thought we could drop them partners aren't going in for scans partners aren't going in for appointments that women are going in alone visiting's massively reduced so there's horrible rumors around saying that people were having to give birth on their own that's not happened in most of the majority of london trusts that i know about that the partners can be your birth partner can be with you for birth but then there is limitations in your visiting postnatally. Mm. So there's a sort of two hour, stay, with the, stay all together for two hours after the birth, baby's born and then, and then have to leave the hospital, which is horrible for women to have to be left mm. in that stage. But um, that's what's happening at the moment. That, that's been revisited a lot. There's mm. constant changes in plans, but that's what's happening at the moment. Um, other things that, that's happened, there was, was rumours that elective sections were going to be cancelled and all and things like that, but that's that's not yeah, that's not happening. Midwife I mean, was a protected uh, um, profession, wasn't it? So you were kept within in, within your trusts and within the trust was separated into hot and cold, weren't they? So you had like around us, Winchester was non-COVID and then Basingstoke's COVID. So oh, that's that didn't happen now. We had different wards, different um, wards within the hospital. 
but that there was talk of that. But I think the, the problem that we decided is that there was one patient that suddenly tested positive, what then transferred them, and what to do with the people who had come into contact with it. It's, it's just a constant emerging planning and different types of doing different things. But maternity, to reassure women that are listening to this, women are still very safe with the coronavirus. Um, if you, it's very unlikely to be very, very unwell with it. Um, so that no more than the general population and they recover well generally. That's good to hear really, isn't it? Because I think yeah. it's really good <laughs> to hear. Yeah. yeah. Fine, and then what are the main reasons that you normally see people being transferred from the community back into the hospitals? During labour? Yeah, exactly. During labour, one of the main things we would see would be that uh, the, the progress of labour would be slow, um, either during the first stage when you're having your contractions and you're dilating, or the second stage when you're, when you're uh, pushing. Yeah. Um, we see that the baby um, might have passed meconium in, in the water, um, um, which is the, the baby's first bowel movement. So um, sometimes that can be a reason for transfer, not, not always, depending on the setting um, and the severity, but um, yeah, that can be a, a reason. Um, following, following the birth, uh, hemorrhage from, from mom um, is another reason why we sometimes see transfer. Um, we do get re requests for um, epidural or for um, pain relief that's not available in the community setting. Uh, yeah. Generally, that's epidural, but um, some settings in the community won't um, provide any opiates as well. Um, yeah. So that's another reason, possibly, for transfer. Um, uh, let me think another reason. Um, if you've, um, so for some women, if they've broken their waters and not gone into labour within a certain length of time, yeah. they may be advised to be, in, be induced. So um, they may either be transferred in labour or they may go in before labour and um, with their waters broken to, to start the induction process. Um, Ailey might be able to expand a bit more on that. Or um, I think the only one you didn't mention was the um, when we're monitoring the baby's heart rate. Course, sometimes yeah, if there's yeah. any fluctuate, fluctuations in the heart rate that the midwives aren't quite happy about, that would be another reason to transfer in. How do you how do you monitor the heart rate in the community as in, in the, at home? Do you have literally a heart rate monitor, or is it? So we don't monitor in the same way that they do in hospitals. In, in hospitals, they do um, usually on labour wards. They do what's called continuous um, monitoring, where yeah. you get a real time feedback of the baby's heart rate at all times. Yeah. Um, but in midwifery led units, um, we don't do that. We we have um, evidence from Nice that we have set times of when we listen to the baby's heart rate. Um, it's about every 15 minutes in the first stage of labour and about every, at least every five minutes in the second stage of labour. And how we do it is we listen with the sonicade, which is when you have your antenatal points. That's how the midwife's listening usually in your antenatal appointments. So we listen then and we, we're vigilant about listening to that baby's heart rate. And if we do have concerns, that'll be a reason to transfer to, to the obstetric unit for more, more monitoring, more intensive monitoring. Um, I was just reading about epidurals and it was saying how um, uh, the endorphins that kind of you have when you're in labour can kind of put you in this euphoric state basically and help you through labour and as soon as you have an epidural that stops instantly which I found really interesting um, and then um, obviously it can kind of just have a huge impact on then your kind of um, even just bonding with the baby, just that, you know, those natural chemicals that you have, um, as, soon, as soon as you stop the, as soon as you, sorry, have an epidural that can just have, you know, start stopping all those natural processes that are happening, which I find really interesting because I, in, from a physio point of view, when I think about an epidural, 
I didn't want one because I was like, I wanted to be able to feel what I was doing. I wanted to be able to push when I wanted to push and, you know, walk around, be upright, all those sorts of things. But then when you think about actually from a really chemical point of view, it's just, it, it has so many impacts. I mean, obviously it's a godsend in many, many ways, but at the same time, it, it does have a big impact on some of those natural processes, again, that you're trying to encourage as much as possible. I think you just have to be careful though, because if, women, if a woman's chosen to give birth in a midriff-led unit and yet she's choosing to give birth without an epidural, but she gets to the point that she wants an epidural, I think she needs to just... You, have, you can only make the decisions of what's in front of you. If you've been going on labour for a long, long time and it's got to the point where you just can't cope anymore, I mean, there's absolutely no shame in saying, I need to opt out now and have an epidural. I mean, so I, I think every case is individual and if you've got to the point where you want, you want an epidural... That is the right thing for you. But having said that, in labour, you will often... I mean, I wanted an epidural at one point in my labour. Definitely. I didn't even want an epidural. I wanted a general anaesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but midwives that are supporting you will know that you don't actually want one and you're just going through a bit of a transition of your labour and that you'll get through it. And I'm delighted the midwives, thank you, Liz, that were looking after you. <laughs> realize that and supported me through that but if you generally are knackered and you've been laboring for 36 hours and you think oh my goodness i can't do this anymore there's absolutely no shame, shame. In taking what's no shame at all. and the midwives supporting you at, without trying to blow our own trumpets absolutely know the difference yeah it's a balancing act, isn't it, with, with knowing all of this information and, and striving for what you want, but also not putting too much pressure on yourself. Um, because like yeah. Hayley said, you, you, you can only make these choices when what's in front of you is in front of you. Um, yeah. You can't, we, we, we try to overplan, but it, it's impossible to overplan. You just don't, you don't know how your birth is going to, is going to come out until, until it's uh, out in the wash, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. And the most important thing is just getting out of it with, alive with a healthy baby. So, you know, <laughs> the key really, isn't it? Um, and then I guess going back to um, kind of uh, the, another stat was just that C-section rates were higher in the hospital. So I guess that is that because you've got potentially people with higher risks having their births in, initially in hospital or is it because of like maybe the medicalization of labour in the hospital? Well, it's, it's very interesting for anyone who wants to do any bedtime reading, have a look at the birthplace study. So that looked at women who are, both, who are equally matched for risk factors. Yeah. If a woman who is... At low risk steps onto a labor ward, an obstetric unit. Um, she has all uh, much more higher chance of having cesarean section, much higher chance of having a blood transfer, transfusion, much higher chance of having a episiotomy. That same woman, her twin sister having exactly the same pregnancy, steps onto a birth center. Her outcomes are much better for natural normal birth. So it's it's a, there's a, it's a lots of factors, um, medicalization of of birth. So you, we can't just blame. The difference of risk factors. It, it, something happens on labour wards that doesn't happen on midwifery led units. And as I said before, it's about the protectiveness of the physiology of birth, which labour wards do not do not do as well as birth centres. Birth centres in home. And it, and it tends to be that, that, that there are interventions, unnecessary interventions, put into place, either an epidural or in a, another thing. A, someone, a woman's um, waters are artificially broken for yeah. not particularly 
a clear reason and that starts the cascade of interventions so one thing leads to another leads to another and then this woman sadly ends up in theatre having a forceps or a cesarean section and possibly a hemorrhage and a blood transfusion and, and it is that cascade of intervention that just starts it's, with one quite, it's quite interesting because I know for a fact with my daughter if I'd been on the labour ward and I knew there was an anaesthetic doctor outside the door I would have snapped that doctor up and said come and give me an epidural like that I would have done yeah. you know, I was in the midwifery led unit I was being supported by midwives and I got through it without it but I know that if I'd been on the labour ward it would be Ever so tempting to I think, I think it's because right. they're there and you're like, yeah, yeah. It's, like it's almost totally like, like it's the chocolates right there, you know, you can't stop thinking about it. And that's probably the same for the women as it is for the midwives that are working there. You know, Absolutely. it's it's just too too much temptation on the doorstep in some ways, isn't 100%, it? Yeah. Um, you know, and not that you keep a woman away from, from the pain relief that she needs at all in a midwifery led setting. That's not the case. But mm. you just, uh, um, it, you just. It's a bit more of a fast to, to, to sort of, for the woman to get out. And of because course, that woman has chosen, you know, you know that woman has chosen that birthplace, and that she's, you know, she's informed that that, that these are the birth choices that she wants, yeah. um, and she probably is aware of the fact that she may uh, may even ask up her midwife for an epidural at some stage in her labour, and you feel sort of empowered as a midwife to to spend some time working her working her through that rather than just going, okay, then call the anaesthetist, get him inside, get get that epidural on. Mm. yeah it's it's funny I do remember though like at the point when I got my epidural I I literally was like you come with me to the anaesthetist as we walk through and then I I mean I was one of those people who kind of had was in you know labour for like two days before I even got to that point and I was still only kind of four centimetres or something which is an indication of an epidural as I mentioned before <laughs> <laughs> exactly and um but then as soon as I knew that it was coming I was able to completely block out the pain for three contractions whilst we put it in and I was just like why couldn't I do this during that <laughs> like the longevity of the process that just meant that I was just you know completely I just totally given up and then talking about um, C-sections, the only thing we also we also is um, the elective uh, C-section. So I know that the nice guidelines. Um, I'm going to just read them here because that's probably the easiest way to do it. So um, basically, it says for non-medical reasons. Um, explain to you the overall benefits of the risks of a c-section to you and your baby compared to a vaginal birth and then if you're anxious you can be offered a chance to discuss your anxiety with a healthcare professional who can then offer support during your pregnancy and labor if you still feel that vaginal birth is not an acceptable option you should be offered a planned cesarean um, if your doctor is unwilling to perform this um, you should be referred on to another doctor do you think this pathway is as easy and simple as it sounds in this guideline it should be yeah so, so part of my role is birth options and so I have a, I would say 70% of the women that come through to birth options appointments are women requesting electric cesarean sections mm. um once I go through the, the sort of risks and benefits and what they're actually afraid of um some I'd say about a third of them then decide that they want to give a birth center a chance or home birth or they, they go that way but yeah. then a lot of them are very well informed, have done a lot of reading and say, absolutely not, this is not an option for me. Um, so then what I do is refer them to a consultant, ob consultant obstetrician yeah. and our trust um, uh, uh, guidance is that we, we do 
give women their choice of maternal requests for cesarean sections. It shouldn't be a battle. You don't have to prove that you have tocophobia. Women who come through, who have got genuine tocophobia, which is the fear of proper fear of childbirth, who've gone to CBT and they don't want to have this fear, but they do. They are a definite candidate for um, maternal choice of cesarean section. If they've tried to unpick that fear and anxiety, and they still they're going to um, be fearful throughout their health pregnancy and dread the birth of their baby. Then vaginal birth is not for them. They need to have they need to enjoy their pregnancy and know that their opt their choice is going to be met. So we do offer the choice. Um, we, we do like to unpick it to make sure it's not just that I don't know, a fear of, a fear of about something that's not not you know not, not they don't need to worry about. No, 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 yeah, exactly. Or, or not even quite um, childbirth related. Some some of the fears are are related to sort of past experiences, or um, and are not not childbirth related, and can be, can yeah. be on picks, as, as Ailey said. Yeah, but with that, a woman's right is to choose how she gives birth, and if that's a home birth or in a tree house, or she yeah. wants um, lecture Tiger. section. Then anything she, you, you, you. What women don't seem to realise is that it's their complete choice. They should be supported in their choice. If we hear a lot of this, oh, I wasn't allowed to do this. I wasn't allowed to do that. But that shouldn't be the terminology we're using. Your your choices should be completely respected um, in how you give birth. Amazing. Gosh, well, I think we've covered so much today. It's, hopefully there's people going to be finding all sorts of really helpful information when they're making their decision coming up to their upcoming birth. And I guess also, like, do you think that these these choices, does it have an effect on the aftercare? Um, that, again, is ho- like it's dependent on which hospital you're booked at, not necessarily the type of um, the actual uh, choice of birthplace that you that you go for. But generally speaking, most women in this country will receive two to three home visits by a community midwife once they go. Oh, home. that's dropped. That's not. Oh, sorry, that's yeah, really sorry. lockdown thing. Because of COVID. Okay. COVID. That's yeah. We're doing um, unless there's a huge risk factors, um, medical or social, um, then te- they tend to have just um, out. They, women are coming in for their appointments now, so they should be well enough to just so yeah. First time. Yeah, mothers. we're having we're having phone consultations for the first appointment, and then women are coming for day five appointments to a, a setting for their day five appointment and then discharge at day 10. So unless there's a reason why they can't do that, the midwives will support you with that. Um, but that's generally, if you're fit and well enough to be go home, then that's what's happening. Yeah, that's extraordinary. And hopefully we're, we're not seeing, you know, huge amounts of time of these restrictions to go, going ahead. Think, no, you know. there's talk of it being reduced now. Yeah. The women that are watching this that are in early pregnancy, you know, potentially these things may be... In a, we, may, we may be in a different scenario by the time they come to have postnatal care. Absolutely. I hope so. I hope I just couldn't imagine not having my midwife coming to see me. I well, see. I actually paid for my midwife to give birth at home, and so I paid extra for the postnatal care. And I, I just, I, I'm so thankful that I was able, grateful that I was able to be able to do that. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I needed a lot of hand holding afterwards. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's everybody just, does. <laughs> no, but yeah. no, 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 particularly me. I needed. A lot, I hemorrhaged really badly, um, and this actually, this is what le- this actually does lead on quite nicely to the question that I wanted to ask both of you, and on the stats on black women and the um, the stats on black women and maternal mortality rates. Why is it so much higher? What do you What do you experience? I know, for example, I've, I've heard the statistics that, for example, within like the Somalian culture 
they they don't they don't come into the hospital like with that once they're once they're pregnant they don't want to be touched they don't want any intervention is their cultural their cultural influences are is it physiological influences why 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 is it why is it this the the stats much higher in in black women we don't know there's not there's no simple answer for it so you you're right there's there is a, a culture of somali women um who opt out of the the care that they're suggested to so um that, that but that happens with, across all cultures where women are you you say oh you mean to have a cesarean section and the woman declines and that that happens with all cultures but somali women do do, do i don't want to be generalized but there is a there's a thing that somali women do not want to have cesarean sections yeah because they want 10 babies often yeah so um that does happen but i i, I have there's no straight answer for it and i think it's, it's what's going on in the, mo- the world in the moment i think it's institutional racism i just think that's what we're dealing with here yeah so, so so potentially that they're not being listened to they're not being so they're not being they're not being taken care of yeah i i, I can't I, I can't answer i just I, I don't know what the answer is i wish i did but i there is loads of work being going on going on with it at the moment one of my colleagues is doing a phd in just um that subject at the moment so I don't, there's no one simple answer, yeah. but it's an absolute disgrace that one, in, it's a, but black women have a four, four chance, four times chance of dying in pregnancy and birth. Yeah. In white yeah. In this Even when matched for socioeconomic status and yeah. education and yeah. everything. So I don't know what the answer is, but it's no, it's not physiology. It's definitely not physiology. It's definitely, yeah, as Ailey said, it's, it's a cultural racial issue that um, is very, very complex. Um, yeah, but then with COVID as well, when when it's affecting them more, then that must be even that must be an even higher um, rate of people being admitted to hospital as well. Definitely, yeah. yeah. COVID, and then so yeah. yeah. Well, we how we've um, been assessing staff and things like that. Um, being from a BAME background is is a is a risk factor for whether you are, need to be shielded from patient facing care. So it's it's huge. It's huge. I don't. I don't know. It's a massive topic. I don't. I don't know how really know how to answer it. To be honest, well, it's a good question to ask, and you know, I think it's great that it's being investigated now. And you know, it, there were studies I think done fairly recently looking into it. So now it's about moving forward and trying to make the changes, isn't it? So yeah. yeah. So what what happens? You had a hemorrhage after your first baby. Yes, I didn't take so yeah, I must have is it in a, a what's the word? Is it in a tonic placenta or the yeah. uterus wasn't contracting? Didn't you contract properly and it just 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 went everywhere and just kept on going. Um I couldn't walk in for the that. sitting room. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that I was just, you I was, in after that. No, no, I was I had, I had a real so I so from being having a fear of of labour, I then had a fear of being in the hospital and having medical intervention mm. i've got a fear of needles you know i just i just didn't want to get didn't want to get involved so i actually didn't have um so i could have had the injection that stopped that tightens it all up um and i didn't do that and that was a mistake second time round, i was like yeah go on go for it and it was mu- it was a much better experience but yeah i hemorrhaged really badly the first time round. um Did you have to have a blood transfusion then no no i didn't um no it wasn't it wasn't to that extent, thankfully, I, I didn't have to go into the hospital. I just really, I my my um, 
the aftercare the aftercare was just very long the recovery was very long mm. yeah I think when you I've heard um, that before when you hemorrhage that the it's kind of the body's ability to recover is just so diminished you know it's it takes a long long time to to get yeah. you feeling tip top again yeah, yeah. Um, this is the last question we're going to ask just because and and you just reminded me of it when you were talking about hiring in a, a, um, a midwife to have birth at home but I just really quickly wanted to also touch on giving birth in a private hospital I know that neither of you work in private setting but just if a mother did want because it's you know the last topic that we haven't probably covered that if you did want to do it what are the questions you should be asking what should you consider and what should you remember that is you know because it is going to be different to the NHS what we've been talking a lot about tonight is um, midwifery-led care and the benefits of that and the positives of that. But if you choose to give birth in um, private care, that's going to gen in a hosp- within a hospital setting, that's going to be obstetric-led. So you'll have a consultant that's assigned to you. You'll be cared on a labour ward. There won't be necessarily a birth centre. Unless you opt for private midwives, which um, you've obviously done. Did well, you do private from the well, beginning? Yes, uh, well, yeah. Um, so, yeah, later on, there's yeah. Different, there's different ways of doing private care, but if you want to book at, a, at one of the uh, private hospitals, that will be obstetric-led. So it's it's what it's what you what you choose to what you choose is most important to you. But you will get continuity. That's a definite benefit of. Yeah. Uh, you definitely will get continuity. Continuity um, of, do- of doctor, not of midwife, though necessarily. Yeah, continuity with doctor. And if anything goes wrong, you've got to go, you've got to hop foot it to the nearest NHS. Um, they're, they're set up for sort of uh, the normal things that, that might might affect a pregnancy, you know, the normal sort of things that people hear about, the preeclampsia, the diabetes, the premature, slight prematurity. Yeah. But it, um, but some of them aren't set up for dealing with um, women with more difficult pregnancies than that, and they may then refer you on to NHS. So if you have a severely premature baby, they might not be set up to to, um, to have the special care for the baby in that unit. So they may need to refer you for the NH- to the NHS for that. Um, so it's worth knowing exactly what, what the package is yeah. um, and possibly considering booking somewhere that has on-site NHS facilities or has a good affiliation with an NHS hospital so that you um, can transfer easily if, if that would be needed. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Great. I feel like we've really covered like absolutely everything. But um, just before we wind up, um, I thought it'd be really interesting just to touch on each of um, your birth stories because they're all really, really different. Um, and I feel like we, I mean, we've, Idia, we've talked through um, obviously your home birth and you were, you know, amazingly one of the, the under 1% of people who has their first births at home, which is incredible. Didn't know it was so low, gosh. Yeah, I know. It's it's crazy. Yeah. But it was successful, um, even with the hemorrhage. <laughs> and, um, hemorrhage, yeah. And you went on to have another one. So. And I did another one, yeah. <laughs> And how did you find the second one? Did you find it? Oh my goodness. The second one. So my, so my son was two weeks overdue. Um, and I waited and waited and waited. And then I decided, and I went to the hospital at Queen Charlotte, actually, I went to the hospital and the consultant there was really nervous about it. And she basically bullied me, bullied me into having, um, uh, uh, an induction <laughs> I thought and I had my like my midwife in my ear like quoting the nice guidelines and then I went online I looked at something about meconium aspiration I thought okay mm-hmm. hold up like I've got like this hippie shit needs to stop now I'm going in <laughs> 
I'm going to have an, I'm going to go and have a, I'm going to go in and have an induction. Mm-hmm. And so I then felt totally relaxed and uh, really excited um, that finally I was going to have a home. I was going to have a, like the baby's going to come out eventually, like, like tomorrow. Um, and I got the bag, was getting the hospital bag ready. I hadn't even packed a hospital bag. And I think just relaxing my body and like, like just like surrendering to the fact that, okay, I'm not having the birth that I want and just maybe surrendering to whatever, I finally went into labor, like just went into labor. And it was great, it was really long, had TENS machine, had, you know, gas in there, blah, blah, blah. It was done. Second time round, it was on time. It was like, but like on, she was on like, like on the clock. Like, and it was every, you could just for every single cell in your body. Maybe I shouldn't say, it shouldn't be sharing this for women who were pregnant and reading this. But the second time round, it was really, it was hard. <laughs> well, not, no, no, yeah, it was, um, but super quick. Um, so I think with Maxim, um, my pregnancy was, the labor was about 12 hours, right? went, I went into labor at like seven o'clock and then delivered at seven in the morning. With Ahilia, I went into labor, well, like my first contraction was around like four o'clock and then I, she was delivered like 6 p.m. So it's like, and like the, the midwife got here I was like, I can't take it anymore. Let's go to the hospital. Let's go and have a cesarean. <laughs> and yeah. she's like, no, no, it's, it's almost done now. I was like, you just got here. She's like, I was like, wow. So it was really quick. Yeah, I had to, yeah, I really, I really loved my... Fast um, and furious. Yeah. <laughs> it was fast and furious. My husband missed Very it. Much so. Oh my goodness. He missed it with a hillier, sadly, because, um, well, he was trying to get Max into bed. We didn't like put out, you know, childcare. And the midwife said, You're, he might miss it. You're right. I was like, yeah, just get it out. <laughs> get it out. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so he, he came in straight afterwards. But that, that's, that, that was, that's the only disappointing thing about my, all, both my experiences that he missed. Like, the, I think he's like, I'll just go and put the other one to bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Amongst the chaos. <laughs> yeah, no, but as soon as, as, soon as they left, mm. I was, it was like, she, she was like, okay, you've left now. Now, now you can come out I was yeah. really yeah so it's so interesting the like how the body holds yeah um maybe I'll go next because I've got a different experience and maybe Ailey's is on a more of a similar tone but yeah. <laughs> um and <laughs> um, yeah I've got I've got two little boys and both of them have been very overdue so uh James was um he was 42, just over 42 weeks when I went in to be induced um, and I had a long induction process and nothing much was working. Uh, I was walking around the streets of London and going for pub lunches with my husband and walking up and down the canal. And um, and then eventually, uh, sort of 36, what, 36 or so hours afterwards, after we'd gone into hospital, I did start to have some contractions and we all got very excited that something might happen. Um, but a few hours after that, he then passed meconium uh, in the water. Um, and I was, I was examined, I was still only about two centimetres dilated oh, and geez. was 42 plus four by this point um, and thought, I might as well bail out at this point. Having had consultants come in and look at me very pitifully, like, will you please just agree to do something different? Because they all knew me. I, I gave birth in the hospital that um, I'd worked in. So they kind of knew my philosophy, knew how I felt about things. I was working in the birth centre there and very much 
was hoping for a natural birth and was booked to have my baby in the birth center. So they, um, they, they knew what I wanted and, and didn't sort of push too much on me, knew that I had had the knowledge to sort of make the decision when I was ready to do it. Um, but yes, we, op we opted out then and I had a, a, an emergency cesarean section um, of a good size little boy who's nine pound four. Um, and then three years later had, uh, had Teddy. He again uh, was late, not wanting to come out. I mean, between the two pregnancies, I've tried acupuncture, reflexology, you know, yeah. I've eaten dates till they come, you know, drank raspberry leaf tea by the gallon. Um, I've stimulated my nipples till they <laughs> don't want to say what, you know, I, there's, there's not much I haven't really tried. Um, but yeah, 42 weeks into uh, my pregnancy with Teddy, he was showing absolutely no signs of wanting to come. And um, yeah, Ailey's done several sweeps on me as well, just to put that one in. <laughs> and they, that didn't work either. Um, but yeah, so at 42 weeks, uh, we all decided that he was not for, for budging. Um, and uh, they weren't keen on, on, we were all not keen on, on, an, on trying an induction process with me because I'd had a previous cesarean section and he his head wasn't even engaged and um, so it was really not showing a very positive signs that he wanted to come out and he was born at 42 weeks uh, at sort of nine pound 11 so he was an, another good sized boy and um, but I mean I'm five foot 11 I kind of should be built to sort of have these babies you just you just don't know but I have to say um, my particularly my second birth experience with Ted was the the best day I mean I, I walked into that hospital in the morning really quite fearful um and tearful and um, having to give up my dream I don't think we'll probably have any more children so you know I really wanted to have a natural birth and experience what I've helped so so many women yeah. do over many many years um but it was literally the best day and when you say about having an epidural and not managing to have all those hormones I was high as a kite <laughs> all day after giving birth to Ted I, no. like thinking about it now makes me really emotional it was I, I have I, I definitely had oxytocin in abundance for the whole day it was just amazing I was floating oh, on you talking about it was amazing it was just I was just like <laughs> literally Ted, floating is, around is Ted, your just Ted your second baby he's yeah. my second yeah yeah, and, and, you know, obviously giving birth to my first baby was was a wonderful day as well, but it, it, it preceded all these days of induction and, and I was absolutely shattered and it was, um, yeah. it was a different thing. Whereas, you know, going in for that elective, having made that difficult decision, it was the best thing I could have done. Yeah. And it was, it yeah. was just lovely. It was just a lovely day. Yeah. Very good memories. No, you're making me all emotional remembering it. <laughs> <laughs> it actually reminded me of, of my second birth because I had uh, the long, lengthy labour for the first one and then I had um, an elective for the second. And exactly the same as you, we got up in the morning, it was like going on holiday, we were all really excited. You know, we, the kids were here with the grandparents, we just drove off and talking about what we're going to have for lunch the next, you know, on the weekend when I came back. And, and then we went in, and it was just all so lovely and relaxed. And then, and I, like you said, I mean I, I also felt super high like all day like, yeah, like the epidural like, um, I was but, like what have they given me what have they given me and I was like they, I was six hours later I was like they've not given me that much and like, I, this is natural this is a natural high yeah. and this is amazing <laughs> amazing lovely and then um Ailey tell us about your story 
Um, so El my eldest, who's six, um, I had quite a quick labour for a first-time mum. So I kept my kept promising well, my now ex-husband, <laughs> kept promising my um, husband that it would be very long and that I can go shopping and there'd be no surprises and there'd be no no dramas like um, in the movies. But I went to bed with absolutely diddly squat sign of anything coming. And then I did that thing that they do in the movies when I go, wow. <laughs> in the middle of the night, water's popped, contracting like a train, bish wow. bash bosh. Six hours later, she was out. Wow. Um, so it was, it was quite a fast labor for the first baby. And I did find it a little bit ouchy. I will say that, um, but it was incredible. And, um, amazing and I, I just but I remember finding it very very tough so I was quite fearful going into labor the second time <laughs> a little bit ouchy smart smart touch and, <laughs> and then the second time I was quite fearful in the antenatal period thinking oh, I can't I can't do that again it's gonna be yeah. horrendous but then I did loads of reading I did loads of reading about birth without fear and I did a bit of hypnobirthing but not a lot and I got my head round giving birth again then chose to have a home birth a second time with my son and it was just uh, the best day I was just I, every um contraction none of the contractions felt like I couldn't cope with them they all felt very doable and being a midwife it was really interesting because I kind of felt myself going into each stage I was like right I'm in the latent phase of labor wow. now oh, I'm going into active stage now. I better fill the pool. And then I was like, oh, I'm fully now. And I just like knew every stage what was how happening. Long was your, how long was your labour the second time? Quick, two hours from, well, I had a lovely build-up, latent phase that wasn't um, painful at all. And I was walking around in the summer and it was like the roses were out and it was all <laughs> dreamy. And then from when they got actually a bit more intense, it was only two hours. So it was just, I was on cloud nine. It was just amazing. And I said as he came out, I was more, like, more that was amazing! Was it more ouchy the second time round? When he came out of my vagina, that was more ouchy. Because I think because you came quicker, it was a bit more... It was quick, so it was like ripping off a plaster. Yeah. Um, that was more ouchy. Because I didn't really... Obviously, it hurt, but it didn't really... The, it was the contractions with Elsie that I found really bad. Yeah. But not actually coming out. So, a different... Yeah, reverse. Your body's just yeah. not used to it first time round. So every every time everything's opening, it's just stretching. And is that why it's, or is it? Is your what is it your, your mind? I think it's just because it's slower. I think the first time was is slower, so it's got the time to sort of stretch as the baby's head's coming. Um, but the second time, it just sort of just comes. <laughs> like oh hello. I definitely think it was more <laughs> ouchy the second time for me. The contractions were way more intense. It was like mm. I could feel every single cell in my body. Like I just wanted to like step out of my body. Yeah, that was like my first labour. Most labor. women think that. I think most women say that about yeah. their second labour because it tends to be more intense and therefore probably likely to be more ouchy. Yeah, because <laughs> it's just working yeah. so vividly, and you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just found that with my first. I, I found it was the first that I the contractions were just overwhelming with the first one, but the second one I just I thought I don't fancy another contraction, but yeah. It was like, <laughs> It was all right. 
I really think whatever state your head is in as well, it will have a big, it's such a big impact on how your pain is tolerated as well. You know, like there, there aren't like specific like nerve fibers that are there specifically to take on pain. It's so much related to emotion and your beliefs. Absolutely. And it's whether you, yeah, it's just like suffering, whether you're going to suffer with it or whether you're going to not suffer with it. And it's, yeah, it's how you cope, it's how your mental state copes with it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. It's interesting. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing your wonderful and (laughs) such different stories. I mean, I think like if there's anything that you can take from that is that no matter what you plan, like mother nature is going to take it to rule the way that it goes. And And it can always be a positive experience. Always. Always. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's the mental state, isn't it? You you prepared yourself and like you were so positive for you, even though it wasn't quite how you planned. But it's yeah, exactly. It's how you prepare yourself. Amazing. And how you, I think it's really important how you um, feel supported in your choices. That's, that's really, really important. So if you feel like you're not being listened to, then speak up and make sure that someone is listening to you. So actually, I don't really know what you're, why you're suggesting this or just speak up. It's really important. It's just someone's, we love our jobs, but it is just someone's work day. So, yeah. But it's just so important to you. So if you're thinking, actually, I don't really understand why you want to break my waters. Can I just talk about this again? Or just really speak up and feel empowered that you have you can have that conversation because that's really important to have guess, you feel afterwards. Yeah, and I guess in that labour process, we haven't really talked about doulas, but that's where a doula could really come in to kind of help, you know, put forward your what is you want in those situations and kind of you know not fight your corner but you know just you know encourage quote those nice guidelines. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> amazing amazing thank you so much ladies and um, what i'm going to do is i'm going to put together a little resource list uh, to go at the bottom of the the, the show um notes um so i'll ask you for some of those at the end if that's okay um but thank you so much for all your amazing expertise and sharing your wonderful stories with us today it's um, made you excited again i said we're going to really enjoy this aren't we <laughs> we like what we do (laughs) yeah good well that's how it should be and it actually really comes across like that you are so passionate it makes me want to you know i think from another baby after speaking i was just like yes that's you know that's the midwife that i want to be with me whilst i'm (laughs) yeah he doesn't come and deliver my third if i uh (laughs) if i go there yeah i mean that'd be that'd be good fun (laughs) we'd love that (laughs) amazing all right thank you guys so much i'm gonna uh wind it all up now but thank you and um i'll speak to you what about our tinto test we're doing that oh yes we haven't done the tinto test okay good so i always forget the tinto test okay uh we'll go from liz you first gina ford or attachment led attachment led ailey spoon fed or uh baby led both (laughs) at the same time (laughs) at the same time (laughs) yeah exactly just get it into them just shove it in (laughs) Um, leave them to cry or soothe and settle? Soothe and settle. Um, Liz, That's okay. lie. It's okay, we, we're, we're, all, we're all mothers here during lockdown. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to answer it again later? Um, organic or off the shelf, Liz? Oh, off the shelf. <laughs> uh, cot or co-sleep? Co-sleep, because it's easier. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, sling, <laughs> buggy, Lydia? Sling. 
uh, whip back or sit back and relax. Oh, about you, <laughs> the mother. <laughs> sit back and relax. <laughs> um, must have a hospital item, Gailey. Oh. Um, oh, must have hospital item. Nappies. People, People forget nappies items. all the time. People forget really? nappies. Really? They do. They do. <laughs> nappies, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. And then, Idia, what is your relationship t- uh, saver tip? Relationships? I don't know. Don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me. Um, <laughs> um, um, separate bedrooms. Fair you don't enough. fight about sleep. Yeah, separate bedrooms. Honestly, <laughs> my sister did that right from the very beginning and seemed to work. So, yeah, good tip. Wonderful. Right. Thank you so much, ladies. I'm just gonna Thank you. Press. Oh, it's been fun.